Welcome to Sabrina Artel's Trailer Talk. I'll bring you all kinds of stories from all kinds of people. Whether it's a live public conversation and we're speaking from the kitchen table of my 1965 Beeline Travel Trailer, from the studios or on the streets, please sit back and enjoy the conversation right here this time every week. I'm Sabrina. This is Trailer Talk. Thank you for joining me for this conversation. I'm so excited to have our guest and a neighbor of mine in Sullivan County, New York, in the Catskills, share with us uh, the work that he's been doing as a psychotherapist. I am speaking with Gerard Ilaria. He works at Cornell University at the Weill Medical College, and he works as a psychotherapist. And this is one of two Trailer Talk episodes, so please know you can go to the other one to learn more about Gerard and this work. But it's very exciting work to me because he is sharing what EMDR is, which is a psychological technique for mental balance and well-being. He's also been talking to us about PTSD, about trauma, about grief, and trying to break down some of these definitions. These are words that swirl around us, but I think it's important to ground in, well, what on earth are they? And why do they matter? Why do they matter for the self? Why do they matter for society, for the world that we're living in? And Gerard has been working with combat veterans, which he had not been doing. He'd come out of the the LGBTQ plus community. Uh, he was right in the midst of the HIV AIDS epidemic in New York City and, of course, beyond, not only throughout the United States, but a global epidemic, but as a gay man right in the epicenter in New York City in the early 80s. And his work as a psychotherapist grew out of that. Gerard, welcome to Trailer Talk, and um, I'm going to kind of let you take it now. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I think, thank you so much, Sabrina. I uh, am very passionate about the work I'm doing right now, and like you said, it sprung out of uh, 25 years of AIDS uh, work, working with the AIDS uh, community, 10 years of working with combat veterans, which, again, sounds like a big pivot, and it was, and it wasn't. Um, the, the pivot to working with combat veterans came just out of my having worked in a uh, Department of Public Health at Cornell and being approached by uh, a, a combat veteran who said, can you please uh, help fix my community? Because we are coming back now, having fought in two wars in Iraq and in Afghanistan, and our suicide rate is now outpacing our uh, rate of death on the battlefield. And so, um, and it was accompanied by addiction and other things, all of which I knew a lot about having worked in, in these fields. So, um, you know, PTSD wasn't something I fully understood, but I got trained up real quick. I did two years of postgraduate work at um, an institute in New York on trauma uh, techniques. And then I did a full training in something called EMDR. And the reason I picked EMDR is that for number one, for the population we were treating, which was combat veterans, there wasn't so much of it. EMDR is considered a top uh, a trauma treatment, along with something called uh, cognitive behavioral therapy, or CBT, and another one called prolonged exposure, or PE. And uh, for reasons that we don't have time to go into, I don't favor those two so much. 
but I did favor EMDR and mostly because the veterans weren't getting it. And I was hearing from people like Bessel van der Kolk, who has that big NYT uh, New York Times bestseller, The Body Keeps the Score. And I was really uh, uh, very influenced by him and the work of the folks who were working more somatically with trauma. Yes, I was about to say that's a somatic work. So can you share with us what is what is somatic work? It is about the body's response, but like if you could give us your professional definition of that and then to break down somatic work, you've been talking about PTSD and then there's trauma and there's grief and then there's ways to treat it and you've mentioned EMDR. So just for our listeners, because it's, it's, a, it's a lot, but- yeah. uh, you know, there's great interest, of course, around all of this because people are suffering. And when humanity suffers, obviously, we are part of the world. So this impacts not only each other and ourselves, but the world itself. Yeah. And I think the first thing I want to say that I always like to say, if I have anyone gives me a moment, is that PTSD and trauma are fixable. I think it's really important to, for people to know that because if you try to follow PTSD, even in the New York Times or in whatever you want to read, they will go for the sad story of the person descending into madness and uh, addiction and death. And they rarely will talk about being truly fixed. And you could talk to hundreds of veterans that I've treated over the years and now, you know, dozens to, to getting up on 100 of uh, gay people that I've treated with EMDR over the past couple of few years. And uh, they will all tell you that they are fixed. They're not. Uh, managing their symptoms. They're not struggling with PTSD. That is um, not to say people don't, but I think with the right treatment and, uh, you know, and done correctly, people can uh, be well. So one of the things that you and I did was, uh, Sabrina, when we saw each other in person, I gave you a device uh, and it's a device that I'm proud to say I actually invented with an engineer. Uh, it's called uh, BLS Remote. And anyway, it's a remote way to do EMDR through telehealth. And this is something that we developed even before the pandemic. So it came very much in handy then. But um, you have uh, in your hand a couple of paddles that are plugged into something that is plugged into your computer. Yes. And I have on my phone a, a website that I, uh, I'm going to that I also ask you to go to as well. And I think you're on that website. Yes. So uh I am. I'm on the website. I've got these these two. Uh, what did you call them? Paddles, or you know, they're tactile. You know, they right? They're tactile. Yes, they're they're kind of small and oval. And I have one in my left hand and one in my right, and they are uh, plugged into the USB input in my computer. Yes. You know what I'm able to do from my phone is I'm able to uh, do a couple things. One, adjust the speed and intensity of the buzzing back and forth in an alternating way, and also turn it on and off with an on and off switch on my phone. And why is that important? So this is what getting into EMDR. EMDR is something that where we are doing a mind-body free association. We're involving the body in the psychotherapy. So unlike psychoanalysis where you lay on your back and uh, talk four times a week to a Freudian or unlike even uh, just regular supportive talk therapy or CBT, where you are working in primarily the psychological realm, the prefrontal cortex, the stuff that's above your eyeballs to try to problem solve your, your stuff. 
the idea with uh, somatic work and most trauma work that um, I ascribe to is that, like Bessel says in his book, the body keeps the score. Your 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 trauma is stored in the body. Uh, where it's it's stored in your nervous system. It's stored in your memory networks. It's stored in parts of your brain that are associated with the parts of the brain that sort of got the trauma memory stuck there in the first place because something terrible happened and that memory split off and got sort of stuck in this as a series of sensations or emotions or visuals that don't necessarily hang together fully with logic, reason, and narrative. They're sort of off in the right brain doing their own thing, but unfortunately showing up in daytime uh, flashbacks or in nightmares or in us, uh, uh, you know, in, in a big startle response or that kind of thing. What EMDR uh, seeks to do by going, uh, in this case, right buzzing, left buzzing, right buzzing, left buzzing, is through an eight phase protocol, through a series of questions that I work with the client on, focusing on just one trauma memory. Yeah. So for our listeners, I'm holding these objects mm -hmm. and, um, and our trailer talk guest is Gerard Ilaria, who is a psychotherapist who uses EMDR. So that's a kind of therapy. It's based in a somatic therapy, which means it includes the body. And then you mentioned uh, Francine. What is her last yeah, name? Yeah, so Francine Shapiro uh, invented it or came across EMDR in her own healing because she had a cancer diagnosis. She was walking across a campus. She uh, thought of the troubling memory and her eyes sort of automatically started going back and forth, right, left, right, left, which engages your right, left, right, left brain because as your gaze goes across the meridian of like where your nose is, you are now engaging the other side of the brain. So it why why is that important? The idea is integration of both your right brain function and your left brain function. So marrying logic, reason, and narrative with the strong emotions and sensations and visuals in your right brain. That's so fascinating. The first time I ever heard about EMDR, it was just kind of called a rapid eye movement therapy. Mm -hmm. And it was actually... Uh, a practitioner that I was seeing who was an acupuncture, licensed acupuncturist, but actually used a lot of different modalities to work with his clients. Mm -hmm. And he first introduced that to me, but I mean, this was probably 25 years ago at this point mm -hmm. to stop a kind of, uh, it was in a moment of upset in my life. And I was, I kept reliving yes. the upset, what had happened. And he said, you know what? I'm going to work with you a number of ways, but let's try this. Mm -hmm. And he, I didn't know much about it, but sure. basically he just held up his index fingers of both of his hands. And he said, you know, now I'm going to kind of hold them off to the side of your, yeah. each side of your face, your eyes. And I want you to move your eyes as quickly as possible while you're thinking about this thing. Yes. And honestly, that's all I ever knew about it. But what struck me and why I'm so happy to be talking to you and why I'd like to learn more and why mm -hmm. I'd like to actually use this technique uh, yes. on myself with a practitioner at some point with a psychotherapist is because it immediately allowed me to stop that kind yes. of um, obsessive Ruminative. reliving uh, of, yes. of the event. And I felt calm. Yes. And it opens space. It is so rapid that people are surprised by how quickly it works. And uh, and depending on what the trauma is, and Francine writes about this and this bears out in practice, 
if it's a single incident adult trauma, it's something that could be addressed in one or two sessions in your office. If it is linked to other things going back in your life, as we talked about before, that are childhood, then it's going to take longer because we have some more you know, threads to sort of follow. Yes, that's exactly right. And the mechanism is, there's at least two or three working theories about the mechanism. There's a ton of research being done on really narrowing it down. But uh, it's uh, either following the idea of rapid eye movement dreams, which is, which is when the brain sort of naturally, your eyes are moving back and forth and are sort of collecting the detritus of the day and, uh, you, know, uh, you know, getting rid of what you don't need and then storing in long-term memory what you do, which is sort of what uh, happens a lot with EMDR, where the, the intensity or the, the vividness of the memory or the thing decreases. And then you're adding in the other pieces like, you know, logic, narrative, reason, the, the, the sort of like, and, and it makes sense. And it's put in some context so that you can put it in the file drawer called long-term memory, where if you want to go find it, you can find it. But it is not showing up as a messy file on your desk all the time that you're looking at every day, which is what you're mm-hmm. describing in terms of that ruminative thought. Mm-hmm. That's it's so fascinating. Did you, Gerard, have a personal experience yourself with it that led you to want to go more deeply into it as a psychotherapist? It's interesting. I did not know about this other than I knew that as I talked to the people that I respected the most in terms of how smart they were and the groups of people that they worked with, they were all pointing, all, all signs pointing towards EMDR. You have to do your own EMDR as part of the training. And I was sitting there sort of unable to connect to a memory. And the woman who trained me, a Californian named Laurel Parnell, has written like six books and is pretty great. And I sort of count her as a friend of some sort uh, at this point. But she came up to me and she said, uh, Gerard, I don't know you very well, but maybe it's the target that you're trying to remember. Let me just ask you a question. Are you a, um, I don't know, just please don't be offended, but are you a gay man or something like that? And I'm like, yeah, I am. You know, good gaydar, uh, Laura. <laughs> and she was like, um, you know, by any chance, based on your age, you know, do, do you ever know anybody with HIV or AIDS? And I said, yeah, I had a lover for five years that got AIDS during the time we were together. And I cared for him uh, and, and until his very last breath and he died in my arms. And she's like, OK, well, that's what you need to work on. And so that I was working with a, it was, you're in triads, you're, you're working with another person who's a therapist, and then there's another person who's observing, and you take turns. And I started doing that work. The next thing you know, I don't know where I was, but somebody was wailing and crying in the room. And I wasn't sure who it was until I realized it was me. People were, you know, I mean, we were spread out, but later on, uh, I connected with some folks. But anyway, that sort of clued me in in day one of training to the power of, uh, of it and how I told her later, I felt like my heart was frozen and she unfroze it, you know, mm-hmm. by introducing me to that. And it really did open me up to all the positive memories of my lover that had been suppressed behind the same wall that I kept all the pain. Yeah. Oh, wow. That's really incredible. So that, of course, then led you to... I was sold. Yeah. You were sold. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Yes. You were sold because of that personal experience uh, in your own training with EMDR. So yes. what would be, um, I know we, we obviously can't do a session yeah. uh, on. I could walk you through the protocol but, or I could but, walk the listener through the protocol. But even just, just condensed to give a yeah. sense of it, 
of because obviously it's more than the rapid eye movements because sure. you're trained to know your client to ask mm -hmm. the related and relevant questions mm -hmm. and then you have a relationship then it's... over a period of time with your client totally. so so Gerard can you walk us through a little bit to give us just a sample of what a therapy session would be like using EMDR Totally. I'm thinking of a client I'm just starting with right now. And the first session or two, I am doing the basics of establishing a therapeutic alliance with her. I am uh, getting a family history, a genogram, if you will, of like just sort of the generations that have led to her, including uh, her childhood history. I'm doing a trauma map to figure out what are some of the traumas that she's had along the way to sort of be listening for. Um, and then I'm explaining to her how trauma is stored in the body, how that works, and how um, EMDR works, and introduce her to uh, the tappers uh, that you have in your hands. Because I don't use eye movements. I have people close their eyes and go inside, so they're not using their, they're using more imagination, and it's easier to get to some of the memories. So once we do all that, after maybe just a couple, a few sessions, we're going to pick our uh, first and worst target, and uh, uh, we're, I'm going to ask her a, a few questions. I'm going to say, when you think about uh, that traumatic memory, what picture represents the worst part of the memory? She tells me, then I say, when you think of the picture, what are the emotions that come up for you? She tells me, I write it down. Then I say, when you think of that uh, memory picture and the emotions that you're describing, what do you notice in your body? And she might describe where that's impacting her in her body in that moment. And then I'll say, when you put together the, thinking about noticing the body, noticing the emotions and the picture you described, what do you believe about yourself or what negative belief do you have about yourself? She then tells me and I write it down. And then I ask her, how disturbing is it? Zero to 10, where 10 is the most and zero is not disturbing at all. She tells me, and then I say, okay, I want you to hold the picture, the emotions, the body sensations, and the belief in your mind right now. Close your eyes, go inside. I'm going to turn on the buzzers. Let whatever comes up, come up. Just notice and I, at some point, I'll turn off the buzzers. I'll ask you to open your eyes, and I'm just going to check in with you. And we do that. That's called a set of EMDR. We do several sets of EMDR in a clinical hour, maybe eight, maybe 12, depending on how brief they are and how much time in between the sets. But through mm -hmm. those sets, a couple things happen. One, the vividness and the way that she is remembering that memory uh, changes. Oftentimes, it gets less vivid, more distant. It becomes more like something that happened as opposed to something that's happening now. The other thing that happens is they start to feel less disturbance around it. So if I keep checking, how disturbing is it now? How disturbing is it now? It, you'll see it drift down, seven, five, two, maybe zero. When it gets to one or zero, I ask, what do you believe about yourself now? And there's usually a new cognition, a new thought that they have about themselves. I survived, I'm alive, I am a good person, whatever it is. And then we sort of have them do a couple more thinking about I'm a good person and buzz that in a little bit more. And then we just check how they're doing, check their body and send them on the way. And so best case scenario, we can do a whole target like that in one session. If not, we put it in an imaginal container and go back to it the next time and finish it off the next time. But that's the basic idea. And it is different than a talk therapy. Most people come in and they're blah, blah, blah. You know, they want to tell all of their insights and all their narratives. And I'm like, actually, you're going to be going inside a lot. And we're just going to get little snippets from you. And it really is a different way of working. 
people can't believe how different uh, they react and the different uh, things they think about themselves that they didn't even realize they were thinking. That's so fascinating. Thank you, Gerard. I'm speaking with Gerard Ilaria, who is a psychotherapist. He works at the Weill Medical College at Cornell University and has been using a, do you call it a psychological therapy, EMDR? You know, it is a therapy. I think at one point it was called the technique, but I think uh, most people refer to EMDR as a full-on psychotherapy at this point. So Gerard uses EMDR as a psychological therapy, and his focus now is LGBTQ plus community. And why is that? Why has that become, I mean, after many years of being a psychotherapist, of using EMDR for a number of years and working for a long time, I think you said a decade with combat veterans, but why have you, as a gay man, as you've identified yourself, decided that this to work within the LGBTQ plus community is the most important thing right now and to tackle trauma. Yes, it was a combination of, Sabrina, the uh, ending of sort of a decade long contract, if you will, or working on a, a national program uh, for PTSD with combat veterans. And COVID also brought us more central. I was doing a lot of telehealth, but we started seeing in our uh, medical center tons of COVID fatigue from uh, physicians, nurses that were coming in. And we thought, you know, we, we're going to bring it back more locally. We're going to focus on New York City Metro again, rather than the national program we were. And one thing that I knew I wanted to do was to have an LGBTQIA plus track because I knew that, again, it's sort of full circle. I had experienced, lived personally, and, uh, you know, was around friends who dealt with trauma that we didn't call it that all through the AIDS pandemic. And then through the as you pointed out uh, so correctly before, the, the survivor guilt, shame, et cetera, that we still carry uh, of all that. Then I did all this work and I thought, this is nuts. I've got an entire community that I love, have given so much to me. Uh, uh, I want to start uh, doing that. So I started just having conversations with people in the queer community, Richie Jackson, uh, uh, Matthew Reamer and Leighton, uh, who did uh, you know another book on uh, uh, We Are Here, which is a queer uh, a book, and just saying, do you think that, does this ring true for you? And they said, yeah, totally it rings true. We don't call it PTSD. We don't call it trauma in the same way. We just call it being queer, really, you know, in our experience. But I knew that it would work. And the first guy that signed up saw the advocate article that Richie Jackson wrote about this and just wrote into the combat veteran thing and said, I want to be your first, I want, can I do this? I'm 80 years old and I lost 60 of my friends to AIDS and I haven't left my house in 30 years. Uh, I am totally traumatized. And I worked with him for two years and he is doing spectacularly. We did a ton of work on all of his AIDS loss. And I just want to add that Richie Jackson, who I know is the author of Gay Like Me, A Father, writes to his son. He's uh, award-winning Broadway TV and film producer. He's He's got a long list of credits, but when you mentioned him, I just wanted to add yeah, that. It's totally right. He's been a continued uh, supporter. But I just, you know, started with that one client who, uh, like I said, is an octogenarian now who has been given his life back. He can't stop talking about how it's changed in all of the trauma that we did. And then we kicked it wide open and we see, you know, we have a number of queer therapists, including 
trans therapists in our program who are all EMDR trained, who are seeing trans folk in their 20s to, you know, folks, uh, uh, gay men who've lost uh, lovers to AIDS, suicide, addiction. We have folks who are, you know, in every decade of their life, uh, all across the LGBTQIA plus spectrum that we're treating with EMDR. And they are doing extremely well. And it's just so rewarding. Like you say, the the spectrum uh, in in the queer community. So that's really incredible. And I'm I, I'd be interested to see as you progress with this mission of yours as a psychotherapist, what you discover. I mean, what I can tell you we're discovering right now is that people did not realize, much like the veterans. I mean, this is the same thing where you come to know your life and the way you operate and the way you see the world and the burdens that you carry as the way it is. You know, that is all you, you have no other perspective or, or promise for anything else. And what these folks that we've been treating now for a couple of years in our program are realizing is that their life has changed. You know, I mean, it's, it, they are not uh, suffering. They are clearing addictions. They are clearing nightmares and uh, shame and fear. And, and I just think, you know, during gay, I mean, shame is such a huge issue that we could talk another two episodes on, but, you know, you can't have gay pride without dealing with your gay shame. And that is one of the things that really uh, is, is, you know, for example, all of my survivors of punitive religions, like my Mormon clients and my evangelical clients that I see who are queer, we just do an enormously great work that they didn't realize this was fixable. And you mentioned in our conversation also your own experience with the melting of your own heart as you were able to process trauma that you weren't aware of, that you didn't realize how it was playing out in your life as you were introduced to EMDR quite a while ago. And this idea that trauma, uh, that it can block from actually remembering the the celebratory, the joyful, the loving, the good experiences, that it actually creates a, a blockade. Yes. And tunnel vision towards what's possible. You know, you just don't, you don't, you don't have much of a hope for the future in a way. You just see yourself as in the, you know, living in the past or being stuck where you are. Gerard, is there anything else you'd like to add? I guess I just want folks to know, and especially queer folks during a Pride Month right now, that they should consider looking at the trauma in their lives and entering into a trauma therapy. My uh, bias is EMDR. I think people will get so much better. And it's sort of my personal mission to get EMDR to as many queer folk as possible so that they can truly live their lives in a joyous way. And they just may not realize that they're not living it fully until they do the work. So I really would just encourage them to try to do that work. Thank you so much, Gerard. You're welcome. Thank you, Sabrina. It has really been my pleasure to be speaking with Gerard Ilaria, who is a psychotherapist. He works at the Cornell University Weill Medical College, and uh, he is a licensed clinical social worker. To find out more about Gerard's work and this work that he was talking about, you can visit traumacenternyc.org, traumacenternyc.org. And uh, so much to take in and uh, incredible work. Thank you so much, Gerard. You're welcome. What a pleasure. From the kitchen table, out on the road, I'm Sabrina Artell. Thanks for joining me for Sabrina Artell's Trailer Talk. 
The music for the show, Patti Smith, People Have the Power. Trailer Talk is produced by Sabrina Artel. For more information, please visit trailertalk.net. Special thanks to WJFF Radio Catskill and the numerous people who have donated their time, resources, and conversations to make Trailer Talk possible. Thank you all who joined me in these conversations. I'm Sabrina Artel. Safe travels.